0: Last week's Season 2 wrap-up show, I began by including a few notes from Mark Zickrey's Twilight Zone companion on the kind of state of play for the Twilight Zone at that time, with Season 2 coming to an end. So I thought I'd begin this one with a little state of play for the Twilight Zone podcast itself. Now, I actually started the Twilight Zone podcast in about 2010 near the end of it. My thoughts at the time where I had been very immersed in reviewing horror films and horror podcasting, and I had these beautiful, untouched Twilight Zone DVD box sets on my shelf that just weren't getting watched. And I thought, what a great way to run through those. It'll give me an excuse to kind of watch the episodes and be a bit creative with it too, review each one, Maybe short 5 or 10 minute reviews of each episode in podcast form. So that was the plan. And with the plan as it was, it would have been a weekly show. So therefore it's going to take me, give or take, about 3 years if I manage to get it out every week. As long time listeners know, that wasn't the case. But here on the 98th episode, it's kind of a source of pride for me that the show never really went that way. It evolved quite early on. Now, I don't like to listen to those first episodes. I don't think any podcaster does like to listen to their first efforts. But of these 98 episodes, only 65 have been episode reviews. The Twilight Zone seems to take you in different directions as you run through it, and I like to explore those directions as they come up. So of the 98, there's been... Those 65 episode reviews, but there's also been about three radio shows, nine readings of short stories, about five reviews of other media, give or take. I've done five interviews, most notably Anne Sailing herself. I do like how that original plan didn't really last long, but the show's gone on longer than I originally thought. But as we're talking numbers, there's also been two hosts and the other host is with me today his name's luke owen luke how you doing today
1: very well thank you very much Uh, thanks for having me back how
0: have you been i'm good i'm good It's, it's good to have you back luke and since you last were on the twilight zone podcast when you were the host of the twilight zone podcast i've been watching your stuff on youtube listening to your podcast and so on just tell us what you've been up to in the meantime uh, well, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you
1: very much for for listening and watching. Um, the The Flickering Myth podcast has kind of changed the format since uh, I was doing the show when I was hosting the Twilight Zone podcast. So it's now like a weekly magazine style show uh, with myself and one of our other writers, uh, and we kind of discussed the, the 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 big movie news in the week. Uh, so that's been really good, actually. We get some really great feedback from that, and I suppose the other news is that my book is now finished uh and it's 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 off to the printers so that'll be coming out july 28th
0: good well let us know and uh, I'll, and i'll i'll tell everyone about where they can get it and so on
1: yeah and if people have got an interest in uh, in video game movies then uh, there's a, <laughs> there's finally a book there's finally a book that'll tell people about it
0: how about i mean because i know you've you've spoken to a lot of stars and everything why don't you just drop a few names who have you spoke to it since you were last on the show
1: Oh, uh, uh, Charlie Cox of Daredevil. Um, Antonio Banderas was a really interesting one. Um, he was a really nice guy, actually and uh mm. yeah who else i can't think there's any really sort of big names apart from that i mean the, i suppose if you're a horror fan adam wingard uh who directed the blair witch that came out last year mm. and uh the the writer of that film simon barrett so i suppose if you're a horror fan that's that's a fairly big name but i think if you're if you're a your standard moviegoer they're, they're not really names that <laughs> that jump out to you it's not like an angelina jolie or <laughs> a name like that <laughs> I suppose, like in for for movie fans, um, Stephen D'Souza, who wrote Die Hard and Commando and Running Man and sort of like all those those great action movies of the eighties, and then not so great action, not so many great action movies of the nineties, like Judge Dread and Street Fighter. Um, but uh, he, was, he was a really nice and interesting guy. Like So many fascinating stories about Arnold Schwarzenegger. You could just talk to him for hours about those sorts of things.
0: Now, way back when, you were hosting the show for a while and we also did a Twilight Zone movie thing, but it's been so long since I've listened to it, I can't remember whether we actually spoke about this. Now, listeners will have heard, last time we had some listeners on the show, and I thought it'd be nice to carry on the tradition that we had at the end of Season 1, where me and you get together as the hosts of the show and uh, talk about the season that has just been. But have you ever talked about your earliest Twilight Zone memories on the show? I don't remember. I don't think we
1: have, actually. I wonder if I was thinking about this myself as to whether we did discuss this, but um, I mean, my I don't really have the, the the cool story that people have, like, you know, a lot of your listeners have when we did, you did the listener episode of, you know, being introduced to it as a kid or catching it late at night at 1am. Mm-hmm. I actually came to the Twilight Zone much later in life. I was about 20 years old. In fact, I was 20 years old. So I was in my last year of university doing my dissertation. Mm-hmm. And part of my dissertation was about the Child's Play series and... I had to do like the history of dolls being used as scary tactics. A friend of mine at the time said, "Oh, you should check out the Twilight Zone," and he lent me. I mean, you probably got these DVDs as well. And yeah, a lot of Twilight Zone fans have got them. the The single disc releases mm-hmm. they did of like the Twilight Zone collection was about four or five, like four episodes per disc, and they were all like out of order and everything. Which I suppose is fine because it's an it's an anthology show, so it doesn't matter too much. But it was just before they did the 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 full season box sets. And he lent me The Dummy, which I believe is a season three episode. And talk, is it Living Doll? The uh, the season five episode with, with Talky Tina. I really liked The Dummy. I thought it was a, a really, really great uh, episode. But I loved Living Doll. I thought that episode was absolutely brilliant. And I was kind of, I got a little bit hooked. And I thought, this, this is fantastic. This show's amazing. Like, you know, Twilight Zones, it's a, everyone knows, like, do, 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 do. But I don't think many people know, sort of like, where that comes from or, or what it means. <laughs> but, um, and i was over at his house and he had the um the sideshow collectibles they did the 12 inch twilight zone figures and i think i'm pretty sure one of them was a canimit uh but i definitely know that two of them were the the pig people and uh the gremlin from nightmare at Twenty Thousand feet and he showed me Nightmare at Twenty Thousand feet and i from that that day forward i was like this show's fantastic i've got to see uh, i've got to check out as much of this as possible and uh, and then I became a bit of an obsessive with it, and it was it was just at the right time as well because that's when they released the the season box sets. So when I graduated university, I just bought all of those, and while I was unemployed, just just ploughed through the the whole thing, just sort of like did it had a bit, of my, had a bit of a sci-fi marathon on my own, uh, and watched all five seasons virtually back to back.
0: Well, I mean, my my earliest Twilight Zone memories are well documented, so I won't go over them again. But um, let, let's dig into season two because. <laughs> When we started on season two, you, of course, started it for us, and uh, then I I took over partway through. So, Mm -hmm. you know, neither of us like to focus on the negative of the Twilight Zone, but I remember reviewing the discs, and I I think I kind of thought that some of the lows of season two were, were Maybe a bit lower than the lows of season one, but yeah. What's your least favorite episode of season two, and your general kind of thoughts about that?
1: I think you know the the the, the least popular ones, at least popular, you know, my personal opinion, were actually along the lines of the listeners you had on on last time. You know, it's mm. it's your obvious ones of Mister Dingle, the Strong, which is it's, it's comedy in the Twilight Zone is never great, and mm-hmm. I, I think Mister Dingle, especially because it, it it feels very goofy um yeah. and it's it almost feels like it's the sort of the, the part of the twilight zone that's very easy to poke fun of <laughs> you know mm. and it's um and so i'm I'm not keen on that one the whole truth is a very bad episode was oh, funny i was I, was I was i was re-listening to your your review of that episode and it is very much just like i've got nothing to say about this episode because <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's not very good yeah. um and i think the the one that sticks out in my mind is a thing about machines Hmm. but th- that really sticks in my mind because the, the, the chaps over at the Twilight Pwn um, just made me, as soon as they said it I never put the two together, but it's very much like uh, Garth Marenghi's Dark Place and <laughs> as, so- as soon as they said that, the episode took a whole new life on for me, so while it's not a great episode, I can at least uh, look at it from a, a Garth Marenghi standpoint <laughs> and get some sort of kick out of it
0: Well good, uh, well I'm glad you do because um, <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny because awful as um the whole truth is a thing about machines has just always rubbed me up the wrong way you <laughs> yeah. know because it, you know the guy at the center of it he was in the sound of music and everything and it's on film so it it, sh- it should have a couple of things going for it but it, it just it's the whole premise for for me it's yeah. like at that time i mean you could possibly do it now and it'd be a bit more relevant and a bit more meaningful because there's some things you, you just can't do anymore, like without computers or something. I mean, try and go to your local bank now and half of them have closed down because mm. people use the internet, that kind of thing. So I think now maybe you could do something with it, but then he was making these various of very obvious choices to have an electric razor well if you don't like an electric <laughs> razor just <laughs> just wet shave you know that kind yeah. of thing so it just made absolutely no sense to me
1: there's another one that does crop into mind there's a couple actually i'm i'm not overly keen on static although while i kind of like the, the 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 message that it has and i kind of like some mm. of its themes it's i don't know whether it's just the the look of the episode or you know it was one of the ones that was, was shot on video but I just find it a bit sort of mundane and a bit sort of something or nothing. But yeah. the other one that sticks in mind is actually one of the episodes that I I did cover in season two, which is Man in the Bottle. Okay. And again, it's it only really resonates because I think the episode is fine, but it's the it's the moment when he's Hitler at the ends, And it's almost like they, they, Rod just thought, I don't think people are going to get this. So he has like the guy to say all the lines of dialogue. It's like, it's 1945. I'm in a bunker. It's the end of the war. I'm Hitler. And
0: it's like, <laughs> I think it's, it's a little on the nose. Let's put the negative to one side then. How about an episode that you think maybe, because people talk about certain Twilight Zone episodes a lot, and some great stuff doesn't maybe get as much sort of... Uh, Uh, attention as those big ones, but any underrated ones for you in season 2?
1: There is an episode that I absolutely love, and it's an episode that I feel like it it doesn't get talked about enough, which is the silence. And Mm. I I loved your review of that episode because I think you absolutely, you nailed it perfectly, and I was really glad that you really enjoyed it as well, Mm. because it feels like it should be almost a classic of the Twilight Zone, but it's one that never gets mentioned that much because it has... It has all the beautiful setup that you would think of a Twilight Zone episode, apart from like it there's no science fiction elements to it or no supernatural elements. But it's got a really simple setup, it's self-contained, and it's got a really great twist at the end. It's got that classic Twilight Zone twist. Uh-huh. And yet, it never seems to really get meant, like talked about a lot.
0: I, I absolutely adore it. I think it's, it's a real highlight of season two for me. But... Um... I think my pick for the kind of underrated one is gonna be the Odyssey of Flight 33. And mm. the the reason is I you know, I, I watched it and I was enjoying it and I could I could see what Rod Sailing was going for, you know, all those great well not great, but <laughs> tragic really yeah. aviation stories where, you know, planes go missing or and you that mystery of what went wrong and he's like, well, here, you know, add that Twilight Zone element of fantasy into it and here's what went wrong, you know. And all all that imagination that you have about all kinds of stuff is here in that show, but and that's great, but then it just ends. And some people might find that frustrating, but I thought it was just a stroke of brilliance because it's like, they turn into that sort of mythic thing at that point, you know, that that plane that you could see in the sky that disappears or or something along those lines. And it just really, because like I said, I don't watch ahead in the show, so a lot of these I haven't seen for years and it really just smacked me in the face, you know?
1: Yeah, I've got to agree. I absolutely love the ending of that episode. And it's funny you said like, you know, Rod clearly loved the idea of these these aviation story these terrible area, aviation stories where planes go missing because it's one of a few in the twilight zone because the, the first episode of season two is you know more or less about a plane that goes missing oh, yeah, and what true. happened to that plane and i think there's one in in season three as well about a guy investigating where the plane's gone mm. and so i think but i i do think the odyssey of flight 33 is the best of those missing plane stories and it is a really really great episode. and it, for me the kicker is that ending i just think that ending absolutely fantastic
0: okay well i guess the big one then is what's your favorite episode of season two and you can you know you can choose a couple if it's difficult because there are some great ones in there
1: yeah there are some really heavy hitters in Mm. season two like i mean you know there's some other stuff ones that you know i could have said for the ones that don't get enough you know that don't get enough notifications things like you know uh uh, shadow, a shadow play. is a fantastic episode. That's a really great episode. Will the Martian uh-huh. real stand up for all, of it, for all of its goofiness in the title? Is a really really good episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, and I, you know, you and I have been talking about the Twilight Zone for a number of years now, and I think that you know my love of I of the Beholder. Oh yeah, um, and it, it's the episode I've always said is one of my all time favorites, and it is. I, every time I watch it, I pick up something new out of it, and I absolutely, I it. You know, quite telegraphed what the, the the twist is, and I think if you showed it to someone now, the a more cynical twentieth century, twenty first century eye would mm. be able to say like, oh well, clearly, you know, they're, they're whatever, they're aliens or, or whatever. Before the the reveal even comes in, you could probably pick that up in the first five minutes. Mm. But I just think the way that it's shot and the way that it's lit and the way that it the story carries itself, I just think is absolutely fantastic. And yeah. you know, I love I love the central performances, even though you know it's all done through voiceover. I just, I just find it very, very engaging and very thrilling.
0: There's no better sort of um, illustration of how they got it right than when you look at the the remake of it. Have you seen that? Oh god, the 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 2000 one yeah. the, when
1: when Forest Whitaker was hosting. Yeah. The makeup in that episode is hilariously bad. <laughs> it's a real stinker.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But it just it, it loses the whole mood of it, doesn't it?
1: yeah absolutely yeah yeah and, and it, it's it's not a great remake and there's you know there's a couple of times where the 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 the, the later twilight is in series because i didn't particularly like the 80s version of um uh the this good name escapes me now the first episode with uh the 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 mannequins um
0: oh the after hours
1: the after hours thank you very much yeah the the 80s remake of that i didn't think was very good either It turned into a more of like an 80s slasher movie yeah Um, and it it kind of loses a lot of its tension
0: Hmm.
1: um other favorites from season two though and and i've I've probably said the the term one of my all-time favorites you know at least twice in this episode already (laughs) but for me and this probably is my my favorite episode of the twilight zone without a shadow of a doubt is nick of time oh wow which i just think is i i love the episode and i love the way that it's structured there's there's some there's certain like directorial elements in there that I absolutely love like when they're first at the diner they're sat next to each other and then the second time they come back they're opposite each other just to show that that separation that that this machine is dividing mm. like dividing between them and it's it's even it's, again it's not an episode of of supernatural or science fiction it's you know just about or, or you know is it you know is the is the machine really telling them the truth mm-hmm. is it really predicting the future or is it just them reading more into the cards than what are actually there, and I really love that element about it. But for me, again, it's that kick the kicker for it is the 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 final moment of the episode when they decide to leave, and as they're leaving, another couple walks in, yeah, all dishevelled and just sit down with their giant pile of pennies and just putting them in and say, "Can we leave today?" Mm. And just they don't even read the cards, just like they're just hanging their heads, like, "Oh, can we leave tomorrow?" <sighs> and it, I lo- I love that, and Rod's closing narration of just like how you choose. To you know how you choose to leave, leave your life. Do you, will you have people tell you what to do, uh-huh. or you know will you choose to choose to leave your life the way that you want to do? It? I I just think it's a great episode, Not, and especially of the two Shatner episodes, it, it's definitely my favorite one.
0: You know, it it's a few people have said that now, haven't they? I think a couple of the listeners on the last show said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I I think I'd be inclined to agree because you know everyone loves Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet, but there's a subtlety to this it's it's unique you know what other story is like this you know what i mean people getting yeah. stuck in a town but there's absolutely nothing tangible holding them there it, no no you know it, it is definitely a, a real classic so i'm glad you picked that one else
1: other two that i did want to quickly mention uh the invaders just because i think it's uh, a as a, a silent mm. movie it's uh it's it's very enjoyable and very good but the other one and it's it's an episode that i it's a lot of people do not think it's a great episode and I can see why but I kind of really love the Rip Van uh, Winkle caper
0: okay <laughs>
1: but, i don't know like i, I it's goofy and all, all hell especially the ending with the the future car yeah. and uh you know like it, it's gold is it thinks it's worth something the dialogue's very hokey but i kind of i love it's it's 1960s aesthetic of what the future holds yeah um and i think it's kind of got that sort of classic cinema plus it's got the uh you know your your favorite twilight zone movie the planet of the apes it's got the um uh, mm. a moment that rod recycled uh, in in that yeah. movie with the, the the cracked case, I just, I just really like that episode. But I'm I'm very keen to hear what your favourite episodes are of of season two.
0: The strange thing is, it it kind of surprised me as to what it actually was, because I remember getting to a point in season two, and I did say it on the show where I thought, are there any heavy hitters left after this? It might have been when I got to the invaders. To my great. Delight! There was loads of heavy hitters left, you know. Yeah. (laughs) And the one that I I think is my favourite of season two is Shadow Play, and
1: that's a great episode.
0: You know, it's a Charles Beaumont episode, but it inhabits that place in the Twilight Zone for me that is just, you know, I love the morality of the Twilight Zone. You know, the lessons and so on, the, the judgment that people receive. But I also love when the sh- when the Twilight Zone just does something that we just don't understand. And yeah. it, only the Twilight Zone can do it in a particular way. And I think shadow play is one of the best examples of that. It's like this is where the Twilight Zone exists. And you can view it as it looks like he's trapped in an eternal dream, but the it's quite clever in that he isn't. He does wake up mm. he he says, "I wake up screaming every night, but then at the beginning of the episode, you see the the darkness sort of go mm-hmm. away, and he's sort of sat there in a bit of a daze, and then he kinda realizes where he is, and it's just like he's fallen asleep, and now he's starting to dream and then and that's when the darkness sort of goes away, and I just think. It is so beautifully done, mm. and you know it uses a roast as a cliffhanger as well, which <laughs> yeah. is pretty great as well.
1: It it is a really really great episode for for all the reasons you've said. Then I love the way that it's shot, and I love the, the 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 reveal at the end, the kind of where everything starts again. Mm-hmm. And it's just you know people have talked about before when you know the, all these Twilight Zone movies that people have been talking about they're gonna do, or you know we're gonna adapt this episode, we're gonna do this episode. I always want to wonder why this doesn't get picked up as one of the episodes to do uh-huh. because it might just be because they don't have like they only have rod serling scripts to play with yeah but as an episode as a concept it lends itself so naturally to uh, to a movie format because yeah. there's so many things you can play with it you know we've we've seen some movies in the uh the past recently like edge of tomorrow is a movie that kind of plays a lot with repeating the same day over and over again Yeah. um and and source code you know the uh the jake Gyllenhaal movie uh-huh. So it's 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 one that you can kind of take that core concept and and really play around with, with what that means and and what it's like to live that dream over and over and over again. Yeah, I just think I I think it's a great episode.
0: Either beholder, that was a great shout. I I adore that too. Definitely, one of the best. Um, I'm looking down the list now, but you know I I think I'm happy with that shadow play. Either beholder and you know nick of time odyssey of flight 33 brilliant stuff you know the howling man as well that's great fun
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: so you know all all good stuff now as a season because it's funny when when i fit, i remember getting the blu-ray discs and because i was doing the show i hated watching ahead and i, I it's almost like i watched them through sort of through my fingers because i, I, <laughs> I like to come to each episode fresh um but I had to review the discs, so I kind of skimmed through the season, and and that's why it gave me this kind of false impression of of the quality of it. It's actually a much better season than I thought it was at that time. But what what do you think of it overall?
1: Overall, actually, it, it, you had a, a really great point when you said that you got to a point where you're not sure if there's any heavy hitters left. And I remember like you know skimming through the episodes that were were going to be coming up for season two, and we're thinking like. I mean yeah there's a couple of really good ones here and there but overall I'm not sure it's 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 that great of a season but actually looking back on it it is a really strong season and could be argued is one of is possibly the best season of the show and it's funny because I wrote that in my notes for the for this podcast I was like I think this is the best season of the show until I looked ahead at season 3 and I was like, oh, no, actually, maybe season three is the best one because <laughs> there's some really great episodes in there. Um, but I think, you know, you could probably downplay a lot of season two because there's the videotaped episodes. And, hmm. you know, I think of those videotaped episodes, uh, 22 is probably the only one that really stands up. And it's it's a crying shame that that wasn't done on film. So overall, I think that it's... I think there's some really great stuff in there. Um, it, it's funny, I was thinking back to watching season two and it's funny you say flight 33 as well because i remember my uh, parents watched a couple of episodes with me at one point when i was still living at home and mm-hmm. with the episode of uh, obviously odyssey, odyssey of flight 33 was on and they thought that was great and they were like oh yeah this this is really good we'll watch a couple more and then static came on and then my dad turned to me and was like yeah this is why i never liked this show in the first place because this is <laughs> what my knowledge this is what my memory of the twilight zone is uh-huh and and i think that there is a lot of that in season 2 where you've got a really strong episode like odyssey of flight 33 but then you've got a real stinker uh-huh. and it's not just like it's a, it's not just that it's a bad episode it's one of the really bad episodes like a thing about machines like mm. um you know mr dingle the strong like yeah uh, you know uh, static um man in the bottle things like that so yeah i think it's it has its ups and downs but when it's up it's really really up
0: I think the lows maybe are a bit more frequent and maybe slightly lower than in season one. But at the end of the day, you had to review Mr. Beavis, which, <laughs> you, you know, I will be eternally grateful for. Um, but um, you're right, you know, you, you'd have a great, a decent run in season two. And then a thing about machines would come up, followed by the howling man, you know, so it's, but even those mid-level episodes are, are really good stuff. You know, the trouble with Templeton, you know, Dust, which sort of was such a revelation to me when I found out exactly what was behind it. Um, yeah. You know, back there is is so goofy, but I, I, I enjoy it for its kind of silliness as well. Um, so I think it's a really strong season. You know, like I said, the lows maybe are quite low. But overall, it's it's a really strong one, and I'm glad I kind of reevaluated my opinion of it to a degree.
1: I think what's really helped actually with the the second season as well, and I'm not just you know here to to, to blow smoke, but I think the your podcasts that you've done for this season have been among your best, and I think you've had some really really great thoughts on the season. And you know you you mentioned dust, your episode get to go into dust was just absolutely fantastic and it is among the best among the best podcast you've ever done so yeah i think you've been a massive help in my enjoyment of season two in re-watching it so i mean i I, full credit to you on
0: that oh thank you man i appreciate that i appreciate that going into season three now and same as season two i kind of half watched this one through my fingers but that even that was years ago now so there's episodes that i really can't remember. Any particular ones you're looking forward to? Yeah, I've got
1: some like some some of the obvious choices. Uh, a game of pool is an episode that I really really enjoyed. I, again, it I might just be because I really enjoyed the ending of it, but it's a, it's a Jack Klugman episode, mm. and I just think, I think it's a really really great episode. It's it's funny how you can make an, a game of pool seem so interesting for 22 minutes. Yeah, but, but you know you got really heavy hitters in season three, like it's a good life to serve man. Um, you know those two. Uh, among the most parodies of all the, the parodies in in you know from the Twilight Zone's ever produced, mm-hmm. it's a good life in particular because you have got the, the sequel episode they did in the the two thousands yeah. and 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 again in the movie. Uh, the was it, was it Joe Dante that did the um the the movie version? It was
0: yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah.
1: Really, really bizarre. But I love I love his take on that story. But that's a great a great episode. But, and actually if memory serves as well. The introduction to It's a Good Life is the one that Rod Selling used on the Twilight Zone. Or that what they used on the, the Twilight Zone Tower of Terror. Oh right. Um I think it is anyway. I, I might be wrong on that one. But speaking of which, actually, that's been shut down now because it's been replaced with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy.
0: Yeah, I, I think the Florida one is still there, isn't it?
1: Oh, really? I thought it was the Florida one they, they'd shut down. But it just, It's the uh, the Hollywood one.
0: Yeah, it's one way or the other. I, I can't recall yeah. which one. But, uh, you know, I, I always kind of thought maybe I'll do an episode on that one day, but I, I'm just not quite sure of what the angle would be, you know. But <laughs> yeah. if, if I figure that out, maybe maybe I'll do it one day. Um, and another episode,
1: actually, that it's a really, really great one that I'm kind of looking forward... To. I haven't revisited it in in some time, so I'm, my memory of it might be a bit hazy, but Midnight Sun, yeah, uh, which I think has probably got a lot of, like, real, awfully real-world uh, sort of dynamics to it now, uh, here in 2017. So that, I think, might be a really interesting episode to watch. So funny enough, actually, I was reviewing a movie that's just been up on Shudder called Blind Sun, which is a French movie. Mm-hmm and as i was watching it and i read the synopsis and i was like oh that sounds a lot like the twilight's end episode midnight sun and then i watched it and at the end of it i was like that's like a rubbish version of midnight sun <laughs> <So>. <laughs> um but there's a couple of others that that are in there that i again i've not revisited but i seem to remember enjoying which is things like the arrival the uh, the shelter dead man's shoes and uh, a piano in the house but a couple of out there choices, um, and this is why I mean, like, I think that season three might be my favorite because every time I looked at an episode, I was like, oh, yeah, that's good, that's good, that's good. Mm. Is um, Little Girl Lost. Which I think is a really, really great episode, and one of my other favorites is the Little People. I'm not sure if you remember that one, I but it's, I think that's. Oh, it, I'm really looking forward to you to get into that episode because it's an episode that I I really enjoyed, and it's uh it, it's one that I have very very fond memories of, and that's, that's a real strong contender for me for as like a possible favorite for the series, uh, for, you know, for that season anyway.
0: Well, for me, it's difficult because, like I said, it's been so long. Some of the middling ones, I just can't remember. Uh, which mm. which is great because i'll be i'll be coming to them so fresh but it's a good life i remember it as being one of the ones that still really packs a punch it's it's quite yeah. it's really chilling and there's that short story that it's based on uh which I, i'd really like to read for the show but i'm not sure whether i can do a kid's voice very well so <laughs> yeah. you know i'm going to have to see how that one works out but then we've got things like one of the ones that i remember most from when i was a kid is five characters in search of an exit uh, oh yeah and that's just like you know Twilight Zone strangeness through and through isn't it mm-hmm, um, yeah I, I can't even remember whether there's some sort of moral to it or what or whether it's just here's a here's a chunk of strangeness to sort of make your day yeah. day that bit weirder which i love
1: i think that's that I think that's more what it is. It's just like here's a really strange scenario. Let's try and work out what this strange scenario is all about. Yeah, and, um, when I was uh, filming the collector's room, which was like the the Twilight's inspired series that I did a, a number of years ago, um, mm-hmm. one of the episodes we did kind of had a a similar vibe to Dead Man's Shoes, which you know you pick up an item. From someone else, and you kind of take on their their personal traits. Yeah. And there's a scene in which two of the characters are watching TV, and I put on that episode. Like we never filmed the TV, but like I I put on that episode for them because I thought it was you know a nice little touch. <laughs> um. But because it took us ages to film the scene, the DVD kept playing on, and it got to a point where they were watching five characters in search of an exit, and the lead actor looked at me. and was like, "What is this show? <laughs> like, what am I watching here?" <laughs> brilliant. I was like, "I'll lend it to you. It's brilliant. You'll love it." <laughs>
0: I'm looking forward to Ray Bradbury's episode because I can't remember it, whether it's... I can't really remember it at all. I sing The Body Electric. So Mm. it's going to be interesting, you know, having Ray Bradbury in the Twilight Zone, see how that works out. But there's one episode, I'm not going to mention the name of it now, that I am absolutely dreading getting to. (laughs) You might be able to guess it. I don't know, but I, I just... I don't know how I'm going to approach this one. It's going to be a bit of a nightmare.
1: Oh, I think I know which one you mean now as well. Um yeah.
0: We'll talk we'll talk that later on, but go on.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say cuz I think that the Twilight Pwn had the exact same issue. Yeah. I'm about to approach that episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: it's not going to be easy. It's not you, at least they <laughs> no. have they have the luxury of being funny and they can just, you know, <laughs> yeah. whereas the, the Twilight Zone podcast is generally quite serious, but it's like, what am I going to do with this one? But we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> when we did a show together where we spoke about Twilight Zone, the movie, I, I think we sort of spoke around this subject of of what we would want a new twilight zone to be kind of thing and you know we we hear bits it comes it goes away it comes it goes away again so you know they just don't seem to be able to nail it or they haven't got the right person with the right vision to do it i mean what are your thoughts now maybe it's changed since then i don't know about can the twilight zone exist without rod sailing
1: it's funny because like all these people keep, as you said, like it comes and it goes, it comes and it goes, and it feels like these production companies are just picking up the Twilight Zone because the rights are available, mm. but they actually have no intentions of doing anything with those rights at that time. So you know they might just be like, "Oh, that's available, brilliant. We'll pick that up and we'll just keep hold of it until the time is right for me to now approach that and and, and come up with something." Uh-huh. And I suppose as as fans of the Twilight Zone, that's very frustrating because. I think there really is a place in in today's society for a new Twilight Zone, and I think you can do that without Rod Serling. If anything, uh, Charlie Brooker's Black Mirror uh-huh. has shown us that there are enough really good writers out there. Perhaps they're all in Britain, but there are some really good <laughs> writers out there that can that can create these these really interesting ideas that reflect today's society, much in the same way that that Rod did you know 50 60 years ago where you, you take you take stories right from the headlines and you mm-hmm. you put them you put them out there and you know i, I think if you're going to do it you you should do it properly not do it the way that the uh the way that the 80s show did it where you just had like a where you had narration because it doesn't feel it doesn't quite feel right and for all of its problems the one thing i did like about the, the 2000 series was they had a, a consistent host yeah you know, I don't I don't think you know, Forrest Whitaker wasn't the right choice, but they did have a, a host. And I think that's needed. And it's funny, I was watching, um, I'm not sure if you've checked out on Netflix yet, the new uh, series of Unfortunate Events.
0: I was thinking exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah,
1: but Patrick Warburton is, he is doing Rod Serling hmm. through and through. Like his performance is basically Rod Serling. And so I think if you have a host like that, that's not doing a Rod impression, but is capturing the 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 essence of what rod brought to the show in in his hosting duties yeah i think in, in you you put something like that on a netflix or an amazon prime where you don't have network restrictions i and i think you're you're on for a real winner an absolute winner
0: i agree i i think it can be done the the guy who i wish would do it is um who's the guy who's on hannibal and i think he's now doing the star trek uh show
1: yeah, Brian, Brian Fuller.
0: Yeah, he seems to have a good handle on... You know, he, he's got a take. He comes to something and he's got a take. He doesn't just come and direct stuff or run stuff, whatever he does. He's always got a particular view on how it should be done. And I think that's what it needs, someone with a, a take. And, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. There needs to be... I don't think they should do it literally, but... It's almost like the new host is, it's almost like the Doctor, you know, regenerates into a mm-hmm. new Doctor. And I don't think they should have, you know, a regeneration scene, but it, the Twilight Zone should always have a host, you know, yes, someone who takes over. And, you know, Forrest Whitaker, I understand what they tried, you know, he was more casual and maybe more in fitting with the times, whereas Rod was very 50s dapper. The host needs to have that dapperness about them you know so yeah. and I, I would happily have any race or gender doing that but they just need to have that sharpness they need to be able to sit in a in a club reading a newspaper put that yeah. newspaper down and turn to the camera and and do the opening narration they don't need to be doing a rod Serlingham impersonation but they need to have that kind of air about them and when you said patrick warburton I thought the exact same thing when I saw that and I actually tweeted it from the um uh the Twilight Zone podcast Twitter feed and <laughs> and and he liked it. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully he agrees.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, he's just and that's what you mean, it, it, you you hit the nail on the head. It's got nothing to do with with, with race gender or anything like that. It's you it's got to be the right person for it. And Rod Serling as the host of the Twilight Zone was it it's it's one of those rolled where you couldn't imagine anyone else doing it mm. he was the perfect person to do that show at that time it's the same like you know uh, Hugh Jackman's currently uh hanging up the claws to play Wolverine mm-hmm. and I, I was writing about how it wasn't very nearly wasn't Hugh Jackman it was meant to be Dougary Scott and uh, yeah. Hugh Jackman wasn't cast as Wolverine until like three weeks into production but now you look back on that and you're like I can't imagine anyone else playing Wolverine Mm -hmm. in those X-Men movies apart from Hugh Jackman because it just needs to be that right person at the right time and that's what a new Twilight Zone needs it needs a host that is right for it, it's not just someone who's who's hot and fresh or is under contract with whatever studio has it it's got to be the right person for the job and you know the Twilight Zone it it can, Star Trek managed without Gene Roddenberry and uh, people wondered if Star Wars was going to be alright without George Lucas but you know, JJ Abrams has managed to take it in a in a you know a, a very interesting direction and it's thriving. Mm. You know, it's it's doing better than ever. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I, I think the, the Twilight Zone can exist without its creator. And uh, I'm I'm really hoping that whoever does it does it out of the love of doing it, as opposed to just, you know, oh it's a it's a popular name, it's a popular brand. Let's just throw it out there. And, and you know try and make some a quick buck off of it.
0: Okay, Luke. Well, that's that's our questions and that's our season two wrap up show. It took a while, but we got there in the end, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. it, um...
1: I, I I didn't help in that. I, I I'm I'm guilty
0: <laughs> of slowing us down. I'm not as guilty as me, but um, <laughs> you know, at, at the end of the day, I, I think I've always wanted to kind of say this publicly, but you know, you took the show over when I i can't i just couldn't do it anymore and i think had you not done that there's a very real chance that i i might have put it down and never returned to it again and we wouldn't be where we are now enjoying doing this so you know i want to thank you for kind of saving the show in a way and keeping it going and you know i'm i am glad i came back but i'm glad that you that section and, and kept the seat warm because otherwise we we probably wouldn't be here so you know we owe you a debt of gratitude
1: well thank you very much that that really means a lot and you know I I really enjoyed my time uh, on the Twilight Zone podcast and as I said in an email to you that I I, I wish I'd made more of it uh, and wish I'd because there's some episodes I really wish I could have gotten to mm. but I'm glad I could keep the scene warm for you but it's it's good to have you back uh, behind the microphone where you where you belong um because you know we said that Rod Serling was the right time, uh, the right person at the right time. You are our Rod Serling. So uh, it's good to have you back. I'm I'm happy to be Forrest (laughs) Whitaker in this situation, but it's good to have Rod Serling back.
0: Let's say you're Patrick Warburton. (laughs) that's that's a bit better (laughs) that's a bit better okay well um, I don't know how long it's gonna take for me to get through season three but I hope you'll come back and we'll do this again at the end of it
1: I'll be more than happy to do so absolutely more than happy to do so okay
0: thanks Luke take care man
1: thank you very much bye bye
0: Long-time friends of the show, Andrew Schneider, has sent me an email now. Andrew's actually a professional broadcaster, and I'm always quite flattered when someone who does this professionally listens to my little show, so thank you. And he says, Dear Tom, congratulations on reaching the end of Season 2, another milestone for the podcast. I've been tempted to write in several times over the past couple of months. Shadowplay and Will the Real Martian Please Stand Up are episodes I never get tired of watching, and I really enjoyed your analysis of them. I also greatly appreciated your running Rod Serling's UCLA speech from November 1966. Serling addressed issues that are, if anything, even more pressing in America's current political landscape than they were 50 years ago, and I was delighted to hear his perspective. In the end, I decided to hold off because I knew the obsolete man was coming up soon. As I've mentioned before, this is my favorite episode of the Twilight Turn, and I wanted to hear what you made of it. You said more than once during the podcast that you don't have the academic background to draw on analysis of some of the obsolete man's literary forerunners. I don't think you give yourself enough credit here. You went straight to the most relevant sections of 1984 to pass the ideology of Sailing's nameless state and the monumental challenges any individual faces in trying to remain an individual. You drew on Kafka's The Trial, which should have occurred to me, but did not. The only other literary work that I might have included that you didn't was Fahrenheit 451, Ray Bradbury's masterpiece about a world where books are illegal and are burned on discovery. The central character, Guy Montag, is a fireman whose job, rather than to put out fires, is to burn books. He finally begins to change his views of his job and the regime he serves, when he hides and then reads a book found in one of the houses he is assigned to Bairn, it's the Bible. Serling knew Bradbury well. It would not surprise me if Serling's use of the Bible in The Obsolete Man was a tip of the hat to Bradbury. One of the things that strikes me is that Meredith's character, Romney Wordsworth, is the only person in this episode that's given the dignity of a name. Fritz Weaver is simply the Chancellor. Joseph Ellich, his assistant and the man who takes his place at the end of the story, is listed in IMDB as subaltern. Even the all-powerful totalitarian society that Weaver and Ellich represent is simply the state. Even Orwell doesn't go this far. He doesn't name the party that rules the society in 1984, but the state has a name, Oceania, and an ideology, Ingsoch. It's curious that a society that has gone to such lengths to stamp out individualism would allow Wordsworth to keep his name and not, for example, assign him a number and insist he answer it. That's a question Patrick McGowan would of course tackle a few years later in his own TV series, The Prisoner. I can only wonder whether McGowan had seen this episode and drawn any inspiration from it. You know, it's funny you should say that, Andrew. I've always wondered what Rod Serling thought of the prisoner if he ever saw it. I would love to have heard his thoughts on that because it's one of my favorite shows. So Andrew goes on to say, I watched The Obsolete Man again a few days before you posted the podcast. It occurred to me after watching it that as much as I've always enjoyed Burgess Meredith's performances, I wasn't terribly familiar with his work prior to the Twilight Zone. He had starred as George in the 1939 film version of John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men. He'd played war correspondent Ernie Pyle in 1945's Story of G.I. Joe. After that, I knew nothing of his work until he appeared in Time Enough at Last, in Twilight Zone's first season. A bit of digging revealed that Meredith was all too familiar with the issues at stake in The Obsolete Man. In 1947, the House Un-American Activities Committee subpoenaed a group of screenwriters over alleged communist ties. These were the famous Hollywood Ten, whose story was recently dramatized in the 2015 film Trumbo. Those screenwriters who refused to testify were sent to jail for contempt of Congress. Meredith spoke out protesting that the action was unconstitutional. His reward was that his name was included in a pamphlet called Red Channels, which listed people in the entertainment industry alleged to be communist sympathizers. The result is that he was blacklisted from working in movies for more than a decade many of the actors writers and others who found themselves listed in red channels were effectively barred from any work in the u.s entertainment industry for a decade or more meredith got off comparatively lightly he was able to work openly in television throughout the 1950s but i can only imagine how the network censors would have reacted if Rod Serling had tried to cast Burgess Meredith in The Obsolete Man before he'd already appeared in Time Enough At Last and Mr. Dingle the Strong. The backlash might have been even stronger if they would tried to cast a Jewish actor such as Joseph Schildkraut. In any case, I think I have a better understanding now why Meredith delivered a powerful performance in this episode. He was more than any of his other appearances on the show, drawing from his own experiences he would have two more opportunities to do so. Meredith's first movie role after the blacklist crumbled was in the 1962 film, Advising Consent, in which he plays a former communist testifying against his alleged party contact, played by Henry Fonda, who has been nominated to become US Secretary of State. Then in 1977, fresh off his appearance as Mickey and Rocky, Meredith appeared in Tell Gunner Joe a TV movie about Senator Joe McCarthy. He played Joseph Welch, Chief Counsel for the US Army, during the Army McCarthy hearings, which served as inspiration for the obsolete man. There's not much that I can say about Weaver's performance that you didn't say yourself, save that this wasn't his last brush with the themes of totalitarianism and McCarthyism either. He went on to play Dr. Joseph Weiss in the 1978 miniseries Holocaust and Senator Everett Dirksen, one of Joseph McCarthy's closest allies in the 1992 TV movie, Citizen Cone. The one other actor who has any significant screen time, Joseph Ellick, is still with us as of this writing and just a few weeks from his 96th birthday. He has one other Twilight Zone appearance coming up, a minor role in season three's One More Paul Bearer. Probably his best known screen role is that of Bancini, and one flew over to Cuckoo's Nest. Keep up the fantastic work and let me know if you ever get back to Texas. All the best, Andrew. I certainly will, Andrew, and I'll get the first round in when I do. But thank you for your email and some, uh, some fascinating facts there as well from The Obsolete Man. So that is season two, well and truly examined, reviewed, enjoyed, and now closed. And we'll look ahead to season three, but, Before we get there, I just want to say a few thank yous to people. Obviously, thank you to Luke for joining me today. But I also want to thank the artist Dark Ink One, who made the Twilight Zone podcast website. He's made most of the websites that we've been on over the years when I change my mind every couple of years. But that's not going to happen again. We'll stick with this one. But he's the one who makes my stuff look good and professional and puts up with me changing my mind on a whim and always puts out really professional artwork that makes me look good. So he's the unsung hero of the Twilight Zone podcast, and I want to say thank you to him. I also want to say thank you to Brandy Jacola. I should have been more explicit with her when she joined me on the show last time because... At the drop of a hat, if I say, Brandy, will you do a little voice work for me? I need a a female voice for the show for something. She will do it, and she's always done it with such enthusiasm and love for the show. And that voice is just golden. I absolutely love it. So I want to thank her as well. She is another unsung hero of the Twilight Zone podcast. I also want to thank you, the listeners, because you have been very kind to me as well over the years. And... One such listener, Rich Black, recently, who's also a very talented artist, just out of the blue, sent me some wonderful Twilight Zone podcast artwork that I was just blown away by that I can now use for various things as well. So I wanna thank him because, uh, you know, it was just such a lovely gesture. I didn't ask for it, he just sent it me, and it was like, wow, what a generous thing to do to spend your time doing that, so thank you. Now, any podcaster will tell you that reviews and ratings on the likes of iTunes are very important and I want to thank everyone who's left a review on there. I've recently passed 100 on US iTunes which is great. I can't remember whether I thanked this person on the last show but I'll thank them anyway. It's P-U-4-K-M-U-L and then there's Amanda by Night, then there is ACW You Do You and then there's Ghirardelli Girl and last JCH page, a quick flurry of reviews that have sent me sailing past the hundred review mark. So thank you very much, guys. I appreciate you doing that for me. And if anyone else has the time to do it, I would appreciate that too. Now, it's not only the end of season two, it's also coming up to the 100th episode. So there's going to be another couple of special episodes before we start season three. So bear with me, but I, I think you'll like what's to come anyway. Now, episode 100 is going to be that listener-submitted story or stories which I will read and produce on the show. But before that, the next episode is going to be the Forgotten Twilight Zone. And I think if it all goes to plan, this is going to be something quite unique and enjoyable. So do come back and join me for that. So after those two episodes, we will get to the first episode of season 3, which is called too. So if you want to send me any thoughts on that, then email me at tom at the twilightzonepodcast.com and I will speak to you soon.